0: You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, we live.
1: We live, we live.
2: This is Locked On Hornets, your daily podcast on the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Search your podcast app for Locked On. To get podcast on the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, and fantasy sports, I'm Doug Branson. I cover the team for Fan Rag Sports. I'm joined by my co-host, the man, the myth, the legend. He's been covering the Hornets since they were the Bobcats for at thehive.com David Walker. David, how are you this morning?
0: I'm good, Doug. I'm back. And winter is back as well. It's chilly, 30 oh, degrees Oh my God, here cold, hot, cold, you?
2: hot, cold, hot, cold, hot. I'm just, I can't, I can't deal with it, but uh, here we are. And uh, this is a hot show. This is not a cold show. Oh, we've got a fun okay. show ahead because we've got a great guest standing by. Gavin Shaw of the Locked On Nets podcast is our resident NBA draft expert. It's NBA Draft Wednesdays. We're starting this on the show Uh, and we're really excited because we're starting our draft talk early. And just a a disclaimer, though, I have no idea what I'm talking about when it comes to the NBA draft, but I usually cram that first week of June. This year, we're starting early. So by June, David, we're we're going to be experts. We're going to be draft geniuses.
0: Yeah, we're going to know everything, just like last year and just like the years before, so we'll be good.
2: Also, Commissioner of the NBA Adam Silver is going to be on the Locked On NBA podcast, interviewed by our boss, David Locke, and we've got a portion of that interview to play for you today. He talks about the future of this league and how young people will view this league in the coming years, and and we want to discuss that, and really, it just gives us an excuse to talk about NBA League Pass, David, so get ready for that. (laughs) You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Hornets, on Instagram at Locked On Hornets. Give us a review on iTunes if you can. Five stars. It just takes a few seconds and helps us climb the rankings. You can also support the show by joining our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash LOH for just. A dollar a month, you can help support this show, keep this show going, and get all kinds of benefits, including ad-free episodes. And I've got something cooking, a new benefit, don't want to talk a lot about it right now. But I'm testing it, we're going to figure it out, and I want to put it out there to the world soon. So uh, patreon.com forward slash L-O-H, check that out. But now, let's welcome in our guest, Gavin Shaw, Locked On Nets host. Gavin, who are you and why are you here?
3: Uh, Guys, I really appreciate uh, the great intro. I I just got to say, it was a little bit painful at the beginning to hear you complain about the weather. When in New York, we're getting (laughs) eleven to fifteen inches of snow (laughs) there. That's we do here. I've been to Charlotte. It's it's not that bad there. I know. I know you guys are having probably a tough week of it, but it's
0: raining, Gavin. It's raining right now. It's cold.
3: It's cold and it's raining. Count count (laughs) your blessings in that particular respect. Uh, (laughs) I I appreciate the introduction. Yeah, my name's uh, Gavin Shaw. I've uh, covered uh, actually the Phoenix Suns uh, throughout my college years for four years, uh, covering practices, occasionally games, and, uh, and actually uh, being lucky enough to cover the NBA draft in person uh, a few years back in Brooklyn. Uh, moved back to New York last year, actually spent this season uh, working for the NFL here while doing this NBA stuff on the side, but basketball has always been uh, my true passion, so I'm really happy to be doing that full time and getting an opportunity to discuss it with you guys.
2: So wait a minute, you covered the Phoenix Suns for four yeah. seasons, and yeah, then absolutely. and then yeah. you jumped from that to covering the Brooklyn Nets. Howard, yeah, how do you no, still I love think, basketball?
3: Uh, it's it's brutal. I don't know. I got I got our first year in Phoenix was uh, the year. They won uh, 48 games and Goran Dragic mm-hmm. got uh, robbed of an MVP award that he rightfully earned. <laughs> um, so, so that, that kind of reignited my passion. And then uh, I got, I got Devin Booker the last two years. So that was fun. There and, you go. Uh, and now I have uh, Joe Harris. So uh, I, can't, I can't, What I can't, up? I can't complain. Well,
0: well, Dragic got his all-star bid this year. So yeah, no, I didn't
3: know if he earned it this year, but I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I think I think they were making up for four
0: years. But ago. this this is good, though, Doug and Gavin, because a lot of times the Hornets fans, you know, you start feeling sorry for yourself, but but there's other pain out there. It's, it's good to remember that. It's good oh, to
2: remember I mean. that it's snowing in New York and it's only cold and rainy <laughs> here in Charlotte, is what you're yeah, saying. That, that, that's
0: yeah, that's
3: my
2: pain. Yeah. All right, so uh, what are we naming this segment, by the way? I haven't haven't fully decided, so uh, I wanted to do a play on your last name, Gavin Shawl, Shawl about the NBA draft, Shawl in on the NBA draft, know it's Shawl. What are we going to do? we got to figure out a name for this segment.
3: I like I like Noah Shaw. It's like the implications like I'm a, I'm a little little bit cold <laughs> myself. Maybe maybe I maybe I maybe I know a little bit more than I do. Maybe I don't, I don't. think it's an yeah. implication
2: now. If you've selected that one, I think we no, know. Yeah, no, you... it is. I guess I guess it's pretty definitive. But I'm
3: I'm I'm okay with that if you guys are. If not, we could keep workshopping it.
2: I like no Noah Shaw, I like it. Uh so let's get some simple stuff out of the way first, Gavin, because again, I wanna stress this. I have no idea what I'm talking about when it comes to the NBA draft. If you hear me mention a name, if you hear me mention a piece of analysis, it's only because I've read it somewhere else. I haven't watched a lot of tape yet, so that's why we've brought you on, Gavin, because you are the expert. Gavin, is this a good draft? Uh, I would
3: say it is. I, I wouldn't necessarily put it in the same category as last year's, which I think, as you guys are aware, and I think all of us who cover the NBA this season are aware, This is a special, special rookie class. And I know even just operating from a Nets perspective, someone like Jared Allen, who's generally extremely under the radar and not even necessarily talked about as a talk rookie, is a guy that Nets fans see as the future of their team and if not a potential all-star, a really, really good starter down the road. And I, I think that's indicative of just how ungodly deep last year's draft was and it was really a particularly special year that being said if if you look at the last 10 seasons or so I I think this one really stands out as a good draft you could go back to 2015 another year where it was really deep and I I know later on Doug we're going to talk about um who is a potential bust in this draft and I was going through it and trying to find a guy for you and just to give you an idea I mean I, I don't really consider anyone drafted outside of the top 10 a potential bust because at that point you're just kind of you're kind of just shooting your shot and uh, just inside the top 10, I didn't really see one guy who I was like, you know, even if things go really wrong, like I think at worst, he's going to be a pretty solid role player or bench guy. So so that's the kind of depth I think this draft has. I'm not necessarily saying it's as front loaded as some drafts in the past, even though there, there are people who would debate you on that and say there are five guys who legitimately can be superstars in this draft. But I think the depth is really solid. And I think particularly if you're picking Inside the lottery, there's a good chance you emerge with a very solid player.
2: What do the cliffs look like on this draft? So, like where where are the tiers essentially? Is it is it top five? Is that where the, the elite players stop? Or is it top three? And then what what is the point at which you you're you're pretty much nothing is a guarantee in the NBA draft, right? We always talk about that. It's it is a giant crapshoot. But at what at what point is it like, okay. At 10, 11, 12, you're you're pretty much guaranteed a player that knows, will know how to play the NBA game at a solid level.
3: Yeah, to me, the biggest thing is I I look at, if you want to go by tiers, I would say, I'd first look at the top two. I'd say DeAndre Ayton and Luka Doncic are clearly on another level, at least as prospects, uh, relative to everyone else in this draft in terms of their combination of talent and just obvious utility in the NBA. I don't think anyone else can necessarily match that. And then I'd I'd go all the way down to eight. Some people would go further back than that. Some people would go higher. And I would say Trey Young to me is the back end of guys I consider uh, potential stars in this draft. But then you even go further than that and you go to like 10, 11, 12, and you see guys like Colin Sexton, who you get picked in there is Miles Bridges who can pick get picked in that area shy gilgis alexander who i'm sure we're going to talk about quite a bit on this one you see guys who are still potentially stars all within that lottery range so i'd say even going out to 14 15 you still have those high upside swing guys and i'm and i think the ceiling of those guys is a little bit more debatable and and you could argue with some of them that they don't necessarily have that ceiling of being an all-star but there are people who would make that case so i would say The lottery is kind of the end of that. And then the rest of the first round to me is a little bit more of a wash. Like I I see um, not a significant difference in guys you'd get at 23, 24 versus 15, 16, 17. But again, the beauty of it is it's all, this is all kind of indefinite right now. And we haven't gotten to see these guys go through workouts and play against each other necessarily. And, And people forget college. It it even, I mean, usually this applies to one and done guys, but really with everyone, it's such a small sample size. There's so much more you don't know than you do. So this can all flip around a lot, but that's kind of how I see it shaping out right now.
0: Is there a position that dominates this draft, Gavin? Is it point guard heavy, you know, swing guy heavy? Is there a position that particularly you're going to, you know, strike gold in more than another? You know, I wouldn't
3: necessarily say that. I, I'd say if you, if you had to pinpoint one, it would definitely be center, especially relative to the position's importance in the modern NBA. And I guess you can argue it's coming back. And if you can get that modern five, like I, I look at a guy like Jaron Jackson, who, uh, who we, might, uh, we might touch on a couple times in this podcast, and, and, and you see the, the kind of the dream of the prototypical NBA center you want In 2018, a guy who shoots 40% from three-point range and averages nearly six blocks per 40 minutes. And then you have a guy in DeAndre Ayton who just flat out looks like a future superstar and looks like dominant centers of the past while also having a little bit more of a jump shot than those guys necessarily had. And then someone like Mo Bombo, who's just a physical freak. So you, you go through that spot, and I think you see a little bit more depth, at least at the top of the draft, than you typically would, and it's and it's so interesting because this is a position that quicker and quicker is is going away from the NBA. Heck, the Nets got D'Angelo Russell, arguably their most promising future piece, just by taking on a center that was making too much money. So i think that's really a fascinating dichotomy. And that that to me is kind of the most interesting story of well, this draft.
2: Yeah, and if you're looking at that from a Hornets perspective, I mean they're they're going to need some help on the wing and at point guard. So if there are a lot of centers that start to float to the top, it could it could push some of that talent, like a like a Collins Sexton or a Mikhail Bridges, Bridges or a Miles Bridges down in, into that area where where the Hornets could take them if they land at, you know, nine ten. Uh, depending on how the lottery shakes out. I want to talk about the the Brothers Bridges, even though they're not brothers, Miles and Mikhail. They may be the same person. I'm not really sure about that either. I tell you, I don't know anything yet. I'm, this is why we've got Gavin on. He's teaching us so much already. Uh, Gavin Shaw locked on nets. Miles Bridges, did he help or hurt his draft stock by going back to school, going back to Michigan State?
3: Um, I, I thought it probably stayed pretty stable. If anything, he's maybe fallen back a spot or two, just the way this shaped up. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I, it wasn't a situation where he was going back to improve his stock. He, he wanted to win a national title. And obviously they, they just lost to a Syracuse team that shouldn't have even made the tournament. So that pursuit didn't work out, but it, it was one of those things where I, I think he was aware. And I think a lot of people were aware that it would have taken a real week from him or him turning into a dominant shooter. Because year after year after year, this happens where a guy and who's, who's potentially a lottery pick goes back, and it's one of those things where you give scouts an extra year to poke holes in your game, and it's just not going to be beneficial for you. He would have been better out going out. And then all scouts really see at that point is your potential. And he was enough of a polished Player even coming off his freshman year, and that scouts could still project a lot of growth onto him, but but see a base that was clearly worthy of taking in the top ten. And he, frankly, just didn't get that much better. Like he was still spectacular. Like you could make an argument that he's one of the top five or six guys in all college basketball. I would make that argument. He's he's undoubtedly a great player, but again, he just didn't improve that much. So if anything, his stock fell off a little bit. But uh, at least for me, that wouldn't really deter me from picking him if I was a team. And I, I think he still has a chance to be a really, really good role guy in the NBA. Yeah. Shots at Syracuse from, from the New York guy. I like it. Yeah. You yeah, know, I didn't, <laughs> I, didn't get in, I didn't get in there for journalism school. So I'm not
0: a little bit salty, but no, those, those guys are great. But-
2: We're going to have Gavin back on uh, next Wednesday for more draft talk. One more question, Gavin, before we get you out of here for this inaugural Noah Shaw segment on the NBA draft, the Hornets for the 14th season in a row are going to have a hole at backup point guard. At least it seems that way. It seems like it's been a while since they've had a legitimate option and backup point guard. Give me some names to pay attention to in the first round at the point guard position.
3: Yeah, guys, the, the three players I really see and the ones I'm, I'm going to focus on are Trey Young, Colin Sexton, and Shy Gilgis, Alexander. Trey, probably the most controversial player in the draft. Even I know you guys were really hyping it up that you don't pay much attention to college basketball, but I'm sure you're even tangentially aware of him. Like, how, how could you not be? I think people mm-hmm. who don't even watch basketball know who Trey Young is. Uh, I am a lifelong University of Oklahoma fan, so i followed Trey Young essentially since infancy, since he was kind of the the next uh, great hope for the program in the post-Buddy Heald era. And, and his season was uh, the definition of a roller coaster. Uh, yeah. Started off, uh, his first 14 games were... I I think I can say this objectively, the best 14 games uh, a freshman college guard has ever produced. And you you could argue uh, a college guard period in college basketball has ever produced. He was that good uh, leading the country in points and assists a night while scoring extremely efficiently and really putting on a Steph Curry like shooting show. And then he really fell off on the back end of the year. Team started doubling him. He was playing in the toughest conference in college basketball and just seemed to wear down physically as the season went on. And I I think the truth of Trey Young is somewhere in the middle there. I I don't think he's quite on the level of a Steph Curry as a shooter, but really who is, I really do think he's a chance to be a dynamic scorer in the NBA. And I, I kind of look more at someone like Damian Lillard for a realistic comparison. And I don't know, I don't think he's that kind of athlete and I'm not, he's never going to be quite as strong as Damian is, but he's a guy whose offensive upside is still extremely intriguing to me. And at least on that end of the floor, I think he has a chance to be as good as anyone in the draft because what people don't really appreciate about him is that on top of his scoring ability, he's a special, special passer and playing with uh, NBA guys instead of the uh, mediocre lot of teammates he got in Norman, uh, I think will really open uh, that aspect of his game fully. And then Colin Sexton is also a guy I, I don't think I like quite as much as most pundits do. And the thing with him is he does a lot of stuff. Well, like he's extremely quick. He has really good scoring instincts, a uh, strong defender, uh, but his only truly elite quality is his competitiveness. And then outside of that, he just does a lot of stuff. Well, and, and it's just kind of a selfish, slightly one dimensional guy. Like he, he scores, versatilely, but he doesn't necessarily do a lot in other aspects of the game. So that's my hesitation with Sexton. And it could just be a product of me not watching him as much as Trey, but I'm not quite as high as him. But as far as a potential backup point guard, and particularly in Charlotte, I think it'd be really interesting for him and Kemba because I, th- I think they could potentially play off each other with Sexton's size and having and getting 48 minutes of just absolutely relentless point guard play and both those guys are just killers. I think that would be really fun to watch from a fan perspective. And then Gilgis Alexander is kind of the guy that if if I'm trying to balance my team stylistically and I have a point guard in Kemba who's this short, crazy talented scorer, I think Gilgis Alexander might be the guy to take next to him. Someone who's big, long, a really good defender, really intuitive, whose greatest strength at this point in his career Might just be his sheer size and his ability to maneuver around defenders, but he he just plays with really, really good instincts and has really come on of late after having kind of a quiet start to his freshman season dominated. The SEC tournament has been absolutely excellent um, for the first two games of March Madness. So he's a guy who really intrigues me and is kind of flying up draft boards and I think would be a particularly interesting fit in Charlotte. So that's kind of a breakdown of the top three guys in my mind.
2: Gavin Shaw, our resident NBA draft expert and host of the Locked On Nets podcast. Gavin, my brain is filled with draft information now. and The next time we have you on next Wednesday, I want to dig in to, to Gilgis Alexander. Is it Gilgis Jess? Gilgis? I think, you know, I think Gilgis, but I... I I Gilgis, Gilgis Alexander.
3: I'd watch watch some uh, Kentucky basketball this week. All right,
2: good. Research that. That's going to be the first question. And then the second one, we'll (laughs) we'll dig into him a little bit. And then I want to hear about who's going to jump up into that top 10, the names that we haven't heard about. There's always one guy that just makes his move. Late in the game, into the top ten, so we want to hear about that as well. Gavin, thanks so hey much Doug, for your time. Doug, can I yeah.
0: just ask Gavin one quick question about these games left? Gavin, are there are there any other teams like if you haven't been watching college basketball season, if there's a team outside of Kentucky or some other players to watch of interest? Uh, do you have any of those that maybe people not, might not be aware of? Yeah, that's a good question.
3: Um, I, I might look at Texas A&M uh, fresh off upsetting North Carolina. No, and Robert, I'm done. I'm good with them. Oh, okay. All right. That'd all right. Anyway, so Gavin
2: Shaw, locked on <laughs> Nets podcast. No, uh, you sorry, can catch him there.
3: No, 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 no. No worries. No, no. They're not like necessarily the most exciting team to watch, but Robert Williams is pretty interesting as a prospect. And he's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle because, as I mentioned, there are all these talented freshman centers, uh, a lot of whom outperformed expectations this season. And Williams, a guy who, if he'd gone out last year, a lot of people considered him a potentially top five, top 10 pick, and he really is just a talent physically, and he's proving in the NCAA tournament the way he just utterly dominated North Carolina that he's someone worth watching and not forgetting about. So if you want to look at this as the year of the center, he's kind of the forgotten guy that I think someone could get at the back end of the lottery of the top 10 that might, or at least beyond DeAndre Aiden, end up being the best center of this group. So he's, he's someone who's certainly intriguing.
2: All right, Gavin, thanks for your time. We really appreciate it, sir.
3: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Looking forward to coming back next week.
2: A lot of stuff still ahead on this show. We're going to talk about Adam Silver. He's going to be on the Locked On NBA podcast coming up. And also, Steve Clifford was on a podcast, on the Low Post podcast, and he had some interesting things to say. We'll get into that. Short pause. You're listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
3: You are listening to the Locked On
2: Hornets podcast. Frank's off Twitter or whatever,
0: and and Nick. Batumi He's playing well.
2: Every, and, okay, <laughs> that's it. Ban everybody off Twitter. Everybody, everybody off social media.
1: It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast.
2: Oh, I'm sweating. I'm sweating from all of that NBA draft knowledge that Gavin dropped on us. Colin Sexton.
0: Yeah. If I could take a second, just just give you a pat on the back. That was a great get. And really it's really a pat on the back for Gavin. It was his, a gamble, uh, was honestly. A great-
2: it was <laughs> it was a ga- I mean I don't know anything about Gavin Shawley. Just I emailed out to the locked on, you know, network and said, Hey, do we have any draft experts here? We we want to talk about the draft. And no Gavin ra- Gavin raised his hand first, and that's always my big clue. Like I'm gonna take the guy that raised his hand first because you know why? Because it's the least work. That's why <laughs> You just take the guy <laughs> well, who says yes first. He did it. And then, so it was a gamble. He could have come on and, and not known anything, and but he didn't. He came on and he answered all of the questions and was very... i got dumb. more
0: questions. I can't wait to have him back on. I'm not going to ask him anymore about Texas A&M, though. I'm, I'm done with that, Gavin, if you're listening.
2: If you haven't subscribed to the Locked On NBA podcast, now is the time. It runs daily. It features some of the best voices on the network, and they are getting bigger and bigger guests, including... The Kamish, Adam Silver, who will be David Locke's guest on Thursday's podcast. Here is a short piece of that interview. Let's move to the next generation. I had a friend come into town the other day from Seattle where they don't have a team. His fans his son's a huge fan. He's sixteen years old. He saw two games on Christmas and he absorbed all of his other content from YouTube, Instagram, and everything else. How do we work ourselves so that we support these fans? And how do they alter the game as they move into the primary generation?
1: You know, another great question. You know, I continue to believe there's no substitute for the live broadcast of our game. And at least so far, although people have been predicting the demise of live sports with the availability, the mass availability of highlights, at least in the NBA, it's worked the opposite direction. Our ratings are up. Our ratings have been up over the last few years. And what we're seeing is to use a sort of a snacks and meals metaphor is that the fans seem certain group of fans seem content to snack in essence on highlights, but they still want meals and the meals are the live game. So we still hold those live game broadcasts pristine, meaning that if someone's pirating a live game stream, we'll obviously go after them and get them to shut it down. On the other hand, we've embraced YouTube, we've embraced Twitter and these other platforms that make our highlights available. Now, there's a sort of separate issue in terms of a next generation that's cutting the cord on cable and satellite television and is getting their programming elsewhere. I think we're going to have to go directly to them. I think it would be foolhardy to sit around and just keep our fingers crossed and hope that they keep their cable and satellite subscriptions. Um, they are – that new generation is consuming and, – and they just cross lines where now – they're consuming a majority of their programming on their phones rather than through television sets. So one of the things we have to do is bring our games directly to them. We do that through League Pass right now. We're in discussions with our primary U.S. carriers with ESPN and TNT about how we're going to make their games available um, to consumers on their phones because they're looking at the same issues. In fact, you know the, the deal hasn't been approved yet right now and it's it's in the courts, but it's got to be a large part of the reason why AT&T is uh, you know, acquiring Time Warner just so they can have that content to, to make Make it available to, to cell phone subscribers.
2: That's Adam Silver on the Locked On NBA podcast. You can hear the full interview on a Thursday's pod. Uh, ba- make sure to subscribe to Locked On NBA podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Just search Locked On NBA. Really interesting comments there from the commissioner because this is what all sports are dealing with in terms of the problem of hey, all of these young people. Uh, they're They're cutting the cord. They're moving away from cable. Uh, cable is where we, especially for the NBA, even more than the NFL, cable is where we are putting our marquee games. How do we get those marquee games into the hands of people who don't have a cable subscription? And you heard Silver there saying they're working on it, essentially.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised you still have cable, Doug. This is uh, something that shocks me a picture is a cord cutter.
2: Wow, okay, yeah, you you would be right in the sense that I I did cut the cord at one point and mm-hmm. and the reason I decided to go back to cable is because there it's tough to tweet. It's <laughs> tough to tweet. It's tough to tweet when when things are live and it's not just sports. It's you know, I wanted to watch the Oscars live, and and the other part of it too is that internet is still yeah. like my internet still. <laughs> you goes, hate
0: award shows, but you have that cable.
2: No, my, my wife loves them though. No, <laughs> listen, uh-huh. you do something, and, and she loves to watch The Bachelor live, and she doesn't want to watch that on on something because she tweets that. That's the thing. People yeah. tweet all kinds of things on television, and and she doesn't want to do that. On a on a five minute delay, if if can, if, if yeah. that ever figures itself out, if they can ever get the latency down, then I would certainly consider cutting the cord as well. Um, but u- ultimately, if they f- here's the thing that nobody wants to talk about: like if if they figure that out and they make the latency issue go away, cu- cutting the cord is going to cost just as much as having cable. So it's not going to uh, save anyone uh, money.
0: Well. I- I'll I'll tell you. Everyone's gonna
2: make David, everyone's going to make their money. That's the one like talk about death taxes, the things that that never change. They should say death taxes and everyone's gonna make their money. Like that's the thing. That never changes.
0: Or people just get over the five it's not five minutes, first of all. I I cut the court this year and I have to be honest, I get the Hornets games through the Fox Sports Go app, which I was very nervous about going into the season, just giving the Uh, You know, uh, general uh, being on the receiving end of some of the Fox Sports Go content and production. Um, But it's worked out well. I've been surprised. There is the delay. So sometimes my tweets are uh, a bit delayed and I have to lay off of Twitter if I want to keep track of the game, like, you know, as it's happening. But it's not like five minutes, maybe a possession or two. I'm usually behind anyway, running around, chasing somebody around the house. But uh, that's actually been surprisingly good for me this year. But but your point is is well taken. Some of the stuff is, is going to be on a bit of a delay. So if you want to interact, you know, on but the, that's on the not, Twitter.
2: That's not their biggest problem. That's not their biggest obstacle, I think, in 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 getting people, at least not not the NBA. It's it's how terrible League Pass has been as a as a user mm-hmm. experience. And it's been mm-hmm. terrible for so long. And you could hear Silver saying yeah, well, we've got League Pass already, but it was said in a way – like, go back and listen to that. It was said in a way that you could almost hear the the wheels going in Adam Silver's mind of like, uh, yeah, but it's terrible. <laughs> like, we, we have League Pass. You can watch every game, uh, but it's terrible. And it's been terrible for a long time. But you're time.
0: talking about just the streaming option, right? Obviously. Right? Like, just the internet version? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay.
2: Because that's what he was talking about. How do we get this content in right. the hands of people who don't have cable – um, I sure hope that that Silver doesn't think about League Pass as in its current state as a viable alternative for people because he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that has his head in the sand. But you no. know, he's lawyerly, yes, but not. I've never seen him as someone naive. So I, f- I feel like the future has to be the NBA in conjunction with ESPN, TNT, ABC, all of their partners delivering their content full game content directly to the consumer and and also uh you know they're they're way ahead in terms of supporting people putting highlights uh, on on the internet and and not you know bringing the hammer down on them so kudos to the NBA mm-hmm. for that and and I think they're I think the future's bright for the NBA if they can if they could figure out League Pass if League Pass was as good as the as the MLB offering <clears throat> excuse me as the MLB offering then there'd be so no there would be no limit to what the nba could achieve.
0: Yeah, the skeleton is there, right? Like the, the there's a way to do it or it's out there. I wish they would offer a few more options like I've been a fan of If you have a, the long weekend option like if you have a league pass, friday, saturday and sunday. I mm-hmm. think that would be cool at a reduced price. Uh you can put that out there if you want to. Just credit me uh when you do. Did you hear Silver's eyes roll um when uh, uh David mentioned that Seattle doesn't have a team or is it just me?
2: Oh, you listen to some of the other, you're referencing some of the other (laughs) clips. Yes.
0: No, he said that right at the beginning about his friend's son who lives in Seattle. Oh,
2: I see. Oh, yeah, He does not
0: have a team. (laughs) He's like, I know, I know.
2: Yeah, he's never heard that. He's never heard that before. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, absolutely. But listen to the full interview. There's so many Mm -hmm. great, there's so many great uh, clips that we didn't play uh, because we want to just give you a taste so that you would go and, and check it out on Thursday. Uh, Clifford Steve Clifford, head coach of the Hornets, was on a podcast as well. David went on the Low Post podcast. Yep, a lot of stuff. An hour and a half he sat with, with Zach. Yeah,
0: Lowe. yeah. And if you're going into this warning deep dive on what went wrong with the Hornets, I'm not sure you'll get it. Not there. In this particular conversation, they hit on a couple of Hornets. Zach tried. Yeah, I mean, but look, you know what i have seen the whole time, Doug. That's a tough hour. Uh, and and change
2: to talk all morning As
0: you know, you may be familiar with trying to fill time. Yeah, we, do. we do it for two
2: and a half hours every week.
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, but if you like coaches stories and, you know, uh, tales from the from a coach's life, which I actually love. And Clifford is great at recalling because, man, he's got some crazy connections and experiences in his coaching life. And, of course, they hit on, like, the Ty Lu recent development with his health, and they talk a little bit about Clifford. But they do go into – a little bit. I think the most interesting thing to me was, aside from some of the comments he made about playing younger guys, which we actually touched on earlier uh, this week and last week, maybe um, about you know them just not going out there and playing willy nilly, going out there with a plan and trying to be effective as opposed to just billy, getting willy nilly even. Right, right, willy billy nilly. Um, the the portion about Kimba, you know, and I think we knew most of that, but it was interesting to hear from Clippers' point of view how they handled that little window in time that 24 48 hours when the news first broke and Kemba heard about it
2: the, Kim, the you're office. referencing that when when Kemba the trade news came out yes. that he was on the block and yeah that they, right. they got into his conversation and what he said to Kemba essentially that nobody you know gave him the honest perspective that he's known for that nobody uh, there's no player in this league that's untradeable no contract that's untradeable and and that's it's just a part of NBA life which I think is important for for anyone to hear and and, and yet then followed that up with hey you're you're our guy
0: you're the franchise guy
2: yeah and so that's important yeah. you balance those things out i was interested in him deep diving into what kept him out of 21 games i think sleep sleep is so important and sleep is so underrated uh the first half of this season uh david nearly got me because of a lack of sleep. I didn't know. This is my first year covering the team as close as I have. And, and I was trying to stay up till midnight, 1 o'clock, working on content, and then getting up Mm-mm. at 5, 6 o'clock for this show. And, and I had to stop halfway through the season and say, wait a minute. Like, I can't do this anymore. It was, it was like, physically harming me. And uh, I, I'm 30 years old. And Clifford is not 30 years old. He's like 54. And so I can't imagine like what he was saying getting into the office at five o'clock. So you're waking up earlier than that. And then you're not going to bed until, you know, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, midnight. And just mm-hmm. like the four hours of sleep day after day, it just really, really wears on you. Uh, so that was interesting. He also got into some insights about what he thinks. Uh, is going on with the team struggling to close out close games. It's been yeah. well well publicized, their struggles to win these games that are five points or less, three points or less, that come down to the final few possessions and really come down to the last five minutes where this team offensively has just really struggled this season. And uh, he, sa- he said basically the attention turns to blitzing Kimba Walker – And then, and we've talked a lot about this too. Like, yes, they send to Akimba. They play Marvin Williams, who is one of their other three-point shooting threats. They play him tight when he's on the floor, so they've had to keep him off the floor in fourth quarters. And they're essentially teams are daring everyone else to beat them. So Dwight Howard and and Michael Kidd Gilchrist, and and that hasn't been good for ball movement. The three out, two in has not worked. For the Hornets, this starting unit has played very well overall, David, but when it comes to the fourth quarter, it's a struggle offensively to figure out what the, what the best, you know, running the best plays that don't involve Kemba because teams are trying to take him out of the play.
0: Yeah. And love mentioned that and how, you know, up until this point in his career, I mean, that is what Kemba had been known for. One of the things. Uh, was hitting those game winners all the way back to his UConn days, and Clifford even mentioned in his first year, even when Kimba was shooting like in the low thirties at three from three, he was still comfortable with him taking and making those late game shots in, in those uh, winning situations. And this year, th- they've had trouble executing that because he said, uh, "You know the blitzing that we've talked about, just the rushing at Kimba, and you can see it happen." I mean, you, you if you watch these games, you can see it coming. They're just going to swallow Kimba up and either make him dive to the basket, which sometimes works, but more often than not, you know, those fouls are not getting called late games. And, and again, when he passes it, the other guys are just not able, able to deliver. I mean, that's, but that's gosh, man, it feels like that's been an issue for this team since he's been here. Um, and something they'll look to try and address with some of these draft picks.
2: A couple of other gems from this. If you stay with us this long is uh, Zach Lowe had, had, so here's the thing. Uh, I've noticed this with Clifford when you cover a team and you go to you go to these games and you go to the post games and you go in the locker room you can see certain mannerisms of of both players and coaches and people within the organization that they have when they're when when the stress is high and you see it on television too, you know um, when when uh, the heat is on, you know some of the things that they do. And one of the things that I've noticed with Clifford is that when things are tense and and he's talking about certain things that maybe, not that he's, I, I guess, uncomfortable could be could be a word talking about. He tends to, like, tap on the table, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, mm-hmm. during the press conferences, like, you know, he, he likes to, like, slam his hand down for emphasis when he's really talking about a point that he wants to get across. But, but when he's talking about something that maybe it's like they just lost another close game, he just taps on that table. And so I was waiting to hear it, and when they started to talk about that Miami series – It was, it started off, you know, and, and Zach Lowe went into his whole breakdown of what happened and you could just hear it.
1: (laughs) I was like, Oh gosh, here
2: we go. And then when they talked about the 09 series as well, he started tapping on the table. So that's just kind of a funny little thing that I heard uh, in the podcast, Steve Clifford. Um, you know, there's, there's some things that nobody wants to talk about. You don't want to talk about losing a close series. It's tough. It's difficult.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, they mentioned that Miami series. I'm glad they did too, because that may be, end up being the high point of the Quiver Kimba time here. We'll see. It's certainly been up to this point, I think. I've forgotten that Kimba had 42 in game six, that fateful game six when Dwayne Wade went nuts.
2: Did you remember that I had a giant piece of chocolate cake after that game? Because I was so disappointed. Walked over to Epicenter <laughs> and uh, Katie and I, and I just had the biggest piece of chocolate cake ever. Was completely sick the next morning because it was like 11 no. o'clock and I'm eating a piece of. Giant piece of chocolate cake. Um, also, funniest part of the interview, hands down, is when Clifford starts to talk about his uh, coaching the the uh, women's soccer team yeah. at the high school uh, that he was teaching. Uh, he was teaching at a high school, and so it was he because of that he had to coach women's soccer. And he goes into this whole thing about. Um, you know he's been coaching his entire life and different things. And Zach Lowe comes with, yeah, yeah, I I have the same thing. I I had to coach debate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, which is just it's just perfect. You have this guy he's been coaching, you know, sports his entire life. And Zach Lowe is this is a, a, a just a great analytical mind. But it was just it's perfect. It's just like the perfect sort of uh analogy for for the two places that they come at this from.
0: Like, I thought another funny point I actually wrote down lol was when uh Zach Lowe he said he asked Paul Pierce if uh Rory Williams, a guy with three national championships and 70% winning percentage is a good coach. And he was surprised that the answer was yes. <laughs> 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 I thought he was just a rah-rah guy. He's done the rah-rah for 30 years and, and gotten by with it.
2: That's great. Yeah. yeah. Why what do you know? Hey, yeah. All right. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of Locked On Hornets, and thanks to Gavin Shaw bringing it. Yes. What a Noah Shaw.
0: He's coming back.
2: Yeah. Next Wednesday, we'll do Draft Wednesday again, and again. I, I, just I want to be the smartest. To be the smartest draft mind in the world, come June, and Gavin's going to help me do that. So, and, and hopefully, he helps you too, and you're gonna you're gonna know plenty about the draft by the time we get there. Uh, Thanks so much uh, for listening to Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, Spotify. Just search Locked On Hornets. Give us a five-star review on iTunes. What else? Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. Follow us on Instagram at Locked On Hornets. And we'll be back tomorrow. It's power Thursdays. Matt Fox will rejoin us. We'll do some power rankings. We'll have some fun. We'll talk some Hornets. We'll recap uh, what is going to happen tonight, 7 30. The Hornets in Brooklyn taking on the Nets. We'll have it all for you. We'll watch the young guys Malik Monk, Billy Hernan Gomez, Dwayne Bacon. How do they play? That's the big story, I think, right now around the Charlotte Hornets. And will they get Cody Zeller back? Will they get Nick Batum back? Will they finish strong? 11 more games to go. Uh, can they, will this experiment? Can this experiment work moving into next season? Those are the questions we have left to answer this season. For David, I'm Doug. Go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm sharp.